Imagine in heaven when we all do this, with millions beside us, shouting hallelujah, how awesome and great is our God. It's going to be like that and glorious. It's amazing we can keep silent. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We bow before you, God. The only true and living God. Our loving Father. <laughs> it's worth coming, isn't it? Okay, you sit down a bit now, please. Thank you again, worship. That was brilliant. I might have you back up at the end. You know, I don't know the last time you encouraged a worship group. If you've never done it, it's time you started. You know, they come here every morning, 8 o'clock. The other week, they're playing for four hours non-stop. We need to encourage them. These people lead us into the presence. So let me encourage you before you leave today, encourage them. It's so important we encourage one another. And I'll let you know the stewards or the, 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 the children's leaders, all those that serve us on a Sunday morning. It's amazing how many people it takes just to do church on a Sunday. So please go and encourage them before you leave. Well, this morning I want to speak on a community of grace. That's what the church is meant to be, isn't it? A community of grace. If you remember last week was on about the, you know, the, the, the first and great commandment and the great commission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we can say, well, yeah, how do we do this? I could see this morning, come on, you, lot, you need to love God more. Come on, let's love God more. That would just beat you up. You wouldn't love God more. How we do it is we realize how much God loves us. And then we respond to his amazing love. And this morning, that's when I want to share something about the grace and the love of God so that we can respond to his amazing love. Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible verse 4 through to 8, says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, well, that's, that'll do, will it? Because of his great love with which he loved you, because of his great love with which he loved me, even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, even when we're sinners. Isn't that amazing? That shouldn't say by grave, that should by... Hopefully by now your old man's in the grave. Somebody can't spell in this church, who is it? You do know that should be grace, not grave, do you? Good. I do like to feel I'm amongst the living, not the dead. I'm not ready for the epitaph in my tombstone yet. Did you hear Spike Milligan's epitaph? I told you I was sick. Anyway, by grace, by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come you might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. 
My definition of grace keeps changing, but the one I've got for today is this. We've got it in the board somewhere. It's up there somewhere. Grace is God's free and undeserved favor, his unconditional love, his lavish provision, and his active power. But it's also his goodness. It's, it's his superabundance. It's everything that God wants to give to us is all wrapped up in his grace. There's not enough pieces of paper to write it all down, actually. His amazing grace, his awesome grace, and that grace is actually towards us. And the Father's great love is the source and the foundation of all grace. Out of the great love with which he loved us. Isn't that good news? That whenever we cut God open, love comes out. Out of his great love with which he loved us. It's impossible for God not to love us. Even if you say, God, I don't want you loving me. Tough, he's going to love you anyway because God is love. For God to stop loving enough to die. And God's got no intention of dying. God's decided to live for eternity, so there. Everything we have in God, we've received from His grace. And some of the stuff I'm going to say we've heard before, but we need to keep hearing it. The book I'm going to refer to, Living in the Grace of God by Rob Rufus, I must read this book at least six times a year. Why? Because I need to keep reminding myself of the grace of God so it goes down deeper into my life so it becomes more real for me. You see, as we go through life, we pick stuff up and there's all sorts of things that are said, sometimes against us, and we need to continue to remind ourselves about the grace of God that it's something in living and active in our hearts and spirits. All is grace at the end of the day. When you strip it all away, all is grace. And the Bible says in Romans 5.17, if we want to reign in life, it's through the abundance of grace. So the more grace I can receive, the more I'm going to reign in life, and the same applies to you. Is there anyone here who wants to reign in life today? Well, we need to learn to receive the abundance of grace. And I'm going to say some things about the grace of God. Then I'm going to look at what God is really like And I'm going to tackle some of the thorny scriptures in the Old Testament because some of us think God's a bit kind of schizophrenic. You know, the God in the Old Testament is like one person, in the New Testament it's something completely different. And that prevents us receiving God's grace. And then we're going to look at what it means to be a community of grace. And by the time you leave here, you'll be perfect. Isn't that great? Wonderful. Be time to go up. Praise God. Who's read this book, Living in the Grace of God, by the way? Not enough of you. You need to buy it. It's a good buy. You can buy it for four or five pounds on the internet. It's the best book in grace I've ever read because it's put in such a simple form. I've bought umpteen copies of this book to give to people. If you get hold of this book, you'll get rid of all your hang-ups. You'll know what God is like. You won't need any ministry, actually. This book can do it for you. Because the truth of the grace of God can set you free from all sorts of things. So, living in the grace of God, Rob Rufus, if you haven't yet read it, please buy it and read it. It could change your life. That would be serious, wouldn't it? (laughs) Great book. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I love this. If grace doesn't sound absolutely outrageous, you probably haven't preached on grace. (laughs) It's so outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. All the benefits we get from God we don't deserve. But it's because of what Jesus has done. That's the wonderful thing, isn't it? Actually, you're here today because of what Jesus has done, aren't you? 
I'm here because of what Jesus has done. <laughs> Nothing we've earned because of what Jesus has done. Well, here are the grace of God. Some facts about grace. You've heard these before. Let them go deeper. Grace means that God loves and accepts us, that he is good and always wants what is best for us as a loving father. Do you believe that? Not just in your head. Do you believe it in your heart? See, these things only get into your heart. Grace is the reality of God's ongoing love and acceptance of us, regardless of our successes or failures. Isn't that good? See, sometimes we can think, if we've got a good day, we've been quite successful, God loves me. If we've had a bad day and we feel that we've failed, we say, well, God doesn't love me today. I haven't lived up to the standard. No, no, you just haven't understood grace. See, God loves you as a person regardless of your behavior or your performance. Isn't that great? That's freeing. That's freeing. I mean, I, I don't get it right every day, do you? What do you? Good. God still loves us. He still loves us even when we get it wrong. That's great. That's freeing. That's liberating. I could stop there and that should be enough. Especially in the work situation. You know, whether we're in teaching, the business world, whatever we're doing, we can get into performance, trying to tick all the boxes and get the approval instead of working out of God's approval. Knowing that he loves and accepts me. That's a big deal. Grace is God's desire to bless us, not because of our performance, but because of the performance of Jesus on our behalf, because of what Jesus has done. That's what it's all about. Jesus on the cross paid the price for you and for me. Praise God for that. Grace rescues us from rejection and insecurity and performance-orientated living. Anyone feeling insecure here today? feel a bit rejected here today? It's easy to pick these things up as we go through life. Grace rescues us from these kind of things because God always loves us and accepts us. Grace reveals we're loved and accepted by God just as we are. Wow. You might look at some people and think, how could God love that person? Have a look in the mirror sometime. You get your answer. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. That's good, isn't it? I mean, there's maybe some people here want to stay as you are. Do you want to stay as you are? Do you? Now, we all want to change, don't we? We all want to become more like Jesus, don't we? Well, grace enables us to do that. Grace gives us the power to change, to become more like Jesus. Wow. Grace means that God's correction is a proof of his love for us but when he cracks us, he does this with a smile on his face like a proud father. There's my boy down there. Yeah, I need to correct him over that, but my, isn't he doing well? Isn't he doing well? He's not beating us up with a big stick. He's a proud father. Parents, when you see your kids learning to walk, they get up, fall down, get up, fall down, get up, fall down. You think, man, isn't he doing well? That's what Father God's like. He's a perfect Father. If we do that as imperfect fathers, how much more will a Heavenly Father do that kind of thing? A proud Father with a smile on his face. 
not beating us up. In this bit alike, we should all have this in the front of our Bibles. Grace sets us free to be what God created us to be, a loved, secure, joyful, enthusiastic, spontaneous, unpredictable, and risk-taking people. Anyone up for that one? Well, that's two of us. I'll say that again, right? Grace sets us free to be what God created us to be, a loved, secure, joyful, enthusiastic, spontaneous, unpredictable, and risk-taking people. Amen. Man, that's what amazing grace does for us. It's not good. Well, I've got some more good news. That's just some of the good news. That's what grace does. Rob Rufus, in his book that I've just been referring to, he picks up there's three main channels through which we receive the grace of God. Romans 5.2 says this, we access God's grace by faith. So faith is a channel. In James, it talks about God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humility is a channel. And the third one he says is this, is a true revelation of the character of God. And that's where most of us stumble. We haven't got a true revelation of the character of God because of some of the problems we come up against in the Old Testament. And this morning I'm going to be a brave man. And I'm going to share my personal view of some of these tough scriptures in the Old Testament that I can't prove it theologically, but neither can you disprove it theologically, so I'm okay with that. Okay? And I'm going to grasp some of these nettles and run through them with you. Okay? And hopefully, you will leave here this morning with a better understanding of the character of God, and you'll see the consistency in God's character that he's not a different God in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. That's the plan, okay? If it doesn't work, please don't tell me afterwards. I'll just never preach again. Well, in Genesis, well, I, will, I probably will. Probably will. I've got to get it out somewhere, for goodness sake. Right back in the Garden of Eden. I love this. Back in the Garden again. When you walk in the garden, in the Garden of Eden. Okay? That was Frankie Vaughan years ago. Some of you younger people have never heard of this singer, but he used to kick the old leg out and all that stuff. It's okay. I'm not going to do the fool thing. It's okay. But here we are in the garden. God creates the, heaven, the heavens and the earth, creates the Garden of Eden, then he creates man and woman. And in the Garden of Eden, you have perfect harmony, Adam and Eve, relationship with God, covered in the glory, ruling over the animals, ruling over the kingdom. Okay, that's God right in the beginning in the Bible, in the beginning God and Adam and Eve and all the animals and all that stuff. That's the way God was, Okay. Then you get some of the Old Testament things that happen. But in Malachi, God says this, I am the Lord, I do not change. Okay? So this God that was in the Garden of Eden is now telling us in Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. Jesus said in the Gospels, when he's asked, what's the Father like? He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay? And then in Hebrews, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in the book of Genesis, you've got this God. He loves Adam and Eve, fellowship, harmony in the garden. 
In Malachi, he says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Jesus said, who has seen me has seen the Father. And then in Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That says to me that the God of Genesis is the same God throughout the Bible. He's the same God throughout the Bible, is he not? Good, we're getting there. He's a loving Father. He's a good God. And he wants a family to rule and reign with him in planet Earth. That was God's plan in, in, in the Genesis. That is God's plan today. A family to rule and reign with him as his sons and daughters and ambassadors upon planet Earth. That hasn't changed. God is still working towards plan A. It's not plan B, C, or Z. It's plan A. We're still in plan A, folks. Because God never fails. God doesn't have, as I said at the beginning, God does not have a split personality. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't suffer from depression or bite his fingernails. God is a good, loving God. He hasn't changed. But the thing about this is, God lives outside time. Time is man-made. God lives outside time, so God knows the past, the present, and the future. Okay? So God is the same throughout the Bible. The Bible tells us that. And God lives outside time. See, if God is the same throughout the Bible, it must mean that God is always loving, that God is always good. Does it not? God is always faithful in all these kind of things. If God doesn't change, that's the kind of God that we worship. So what about some of these things that happened in the Old Testament? Ah, you said... Well, you remember there was great wickedness upon the earth because of sin. And you imagine this. I don't know how many people were upon planet earth at that time. Maybe there was hundreds of thousands of people upon planet earth where there was great wickedness. And amongst all these hundreds of thousands of people, God could only find eight that were righteous. Out of all the hundreds of thousands of people, great wickedness upon the earth. And if God hadn't caused that flood to happen... This wickedness would have got so bad that the people would have either destroyed each other or that they died from sickness and disease. That's what would have happened. Great wickedness upon the earth. So God wiped it out because God lived outside time and he knew that wickedness was not going to change because what happens with wickedness, it goes from bad to worse. Sin leads to death. That's what would have happened if God hadn't wiped out the earth with a flood. But he saved Noah and his family. He saved those people that believed in him. God does the same throughout the Old Testament. The other one, the other common one is this. What about the Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated? Okay, parents, you've got two babies. I'm the parent. I love you. I hate you. Why? Because I'm the parent. I've decided to love you and hate you. I'm a parent. If God is a perfect parent, would he act like that? Would he act like that? No. Because God lives outside time, he knew by his foreknowledge the kind of person that Esau was going to be. He knew that was going to happen. He knew he was going to sell his birthright. He knew that. And when you read through Genesis, actually God even blessed Esau. 
He even blessed Esau. So it wasn't because, you know, God just decided in his sovereignty, I'm going to love this person and hate that person. No, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He doesn't pick and choose in that way. What about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? Remember the children of Israel coming out of Egypt? You know, they'd had all the plagues and all the different things. And they're coming out. And they're there and they're going to cross the Red Sea. And it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, it's a bit unfair of God, isn't it? That meant Pharaoh didn't have an opportunity. Well, again, God lives outside time. Remember, with all the plagues and things that had taken place, Pharaoh continually hardened his heart, okay? And because God lives outside time, he knew that Pharaoh would continue to harden his heart. So the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So God was not being unjust. He saw that that was going to happen anyway because he sees the future. He lives outside time. Is this helping you or confusing you, by the way? As I said, I can't prove it theologically, but then you can't disprove it theologically, so I'm okay. What about this other one? Conquering a Jericho. There's lots of things in the Bible. You've got to wipe this out and wipe that out in Jericho to wipe them all out. But in the midst of that, God saved Rahab, her family and friends, whose hearts were open to God. Wherever God, even in the Old Testament, found hearts open to him, he saved them. It was only where hearts weren't open to him. And because he lives outside time, he knew that people would continually harden their hearts against him. And wickedness would go from bad to worse. They'd have wiped out Israel, and they'd have ended up wiping out one another because they worship with the false gods and all the rest of it. Even in this nation, wickedness goes from bad to worse. It starts off with someone like, let's have a little play around with a Ouija board. Well, that was fun. There was a lady rang me a couple of weeks ago. She'd been into all sorts of stuff. She was into Satanism. And some of the stuff that she did when she was into Satanism, I won't even tell you what it was. But you see, sin goes from bad to worse. It's a big slippery slope. Wickedness is a big slippery slope. It can start off with a bit of fun around the Ouija board until you're deep down in Satanism. That's what happens to unregenerate man when he turns his back upon God. That's what's happened in this nation. The moment we turned our back upon God, we started to go down a great big slippery slope. But God hasn't changed. He's still a God of love and he's still a good God. And God wants, he doesn't want that any should perish. God wants everyone to be saved. I believe, I believe that everyone gets an opportunity for salvation because I believe God's a just God. I believe a child, if a child dies and that child isn't old enough to understand or to have a revelation of who Jesus is, if that child dies, I believe that child goes to heaven. That's what I believe. I do not believe in the Calvinistic destination, double predestination thing where a child, if that child is born going to heaven, that child is born is going to hell from the moment they're born. I don't believe that. I believe God is a just and a fair God and he gives everyone an opportunity of salvation. I believe people that have mental or learning difficulties, if they can't understand these things, I believe God in his mercy saves them. That's what I believe. 
because I believe everyone gets an opportunity of salvation. At that point, when Jesus Christ is revealed to people by the Holy Spirit, at that point, if that person refuses to accept their salvation, to me, I believe that is the unpardonable sin. They've rejected Jesus Christ, and God doesn't send them to hell. They send themselves to hell. They've condemned themselves. They have damned themselves because they have rejected Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe. So you see, God, between the Old Testament, the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God didn't go away for 400 years and have a personality change. He didn't do that. But if you just read the Bible quickly, you can maybe get that impression. That God there is a different God to that. No, no, he's the same God. It's our understanding and interpretation of some of the Old Testament scriptures that causes a problem. And we should always interpret the Old Testament through the New Testament and vice versa. But if God says he doesn't change, he must still be a good God and a loving Father. He always has been. He always will be. So if we see it from that viewpoint and we take ourselves back and we recognize God is outside time and he could see all that's going to happen. See, God knows all those are going to be saved before they get saved, doesn't he? God chose us before the beginning of time. How do we work that out? I don't understand that. How could God choose me before the beginning of time, before I was born, before I was in my mother's womb, God chose me? How do you explain that to someone? Because he lives outside time and he knows everything. So when we see from that viewpoint, we can deal with some of these kind of difficult scriptures. But that's the God I believe in. As I said, I can't prove it theologically, but that's the God I worship. And that helps me understand that he is consistent. And because he's consistent, I know he always has loved me. He always will love me. And because of that, I find it much easier to receive God's grace because there's no confusion in my heart and spirit about the character of God. God is consistent. That makes it easier for me to receive God's grace. I just want to pray about that before I go to the next bit. Father, that's something I've had to work through over the years myself. I just pray for people here today Maybe they've heard that kind of thing for the first time, Lord. But Holy Spirit, will you just help us, all of us, to come to that place where we don't have a conflict between the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. God, I ask for grace and wisdom and revelation for us to see that you're consistent. The God in the Garden of Eden, the God that Jesus said is like him, the, the, the one that's the same yesterday today. Help us to see that that's who you are, Father. You always have been a loving Father. You always will be a loving Father. And you always want what is best for us. Father, help that truth to go deep into our heart and spirit because that makes it much easier for us to receive your grace in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Okay, that's the hard bit. I'll get on these a bit now. See, the more we understand God's character, the easier it is to receive his grace. The more we understand the grace of God, the easier it becomes for us to share that grace with others. And God wants us to share his grace with others, doesn't he? In Acts, 
verse 4, chapter 4, verse 32 and 33, it talks about, uh, you know, and great grace coming upon all, which is great. I'm just going to read about Rob Roof's book in a minute. But this, the, the, these two verses, some of the kind of background to this, it says this. It says, firstly, they were of one heart, which is the description in the original Greek, meaning in tune with or in sync with one another. That's a good place to be. We're talking about that in the worship this morning, weren't we? One heart, in sync with one another. To put it another way, they're all going the same way, spiritually together, of one soul. This is a wonderful deep meaning in the original Greek. It literally means to breathe or to breathe spiritually together. You ever notice sometimes, well, maybe you don't know, sometimes husbands and wives lying in bed at night, they can breathe together. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that. I've noticed that. And praise God we're breathing, but sometimes you breathe together. You can be so in tune with one another, you breathe together. It's been so in tune. And that's part of the meaning of that, to be so in tune with one another, we breathe together. Well, let's test it then. Okay, breathe in. Out. Some of you stopped breathing. That grave, that grave was right, wasn't it? It talks about a quality of spiritual unity. They had all things in common. They witnessed with great power, and great grace was upon them all. I want great grace to be upon us all, because I want the church to be a community of grace. Listen to this from Rob Rufus' book. I'm not reading the whole book, you're okay. The people who live in the grace of God are people who learn to love one another and accept one another. It's a good start, isn't it? Church becomes family when we live in the grace of God. People living in the grace of God pray for one another more, reach out to the lost more, and value people more. They start feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, and going amongst the broken street people, restoring dignity to them. They go beyond the walls of their building to infiltrate the world and mix with sinners, to help those who are sick. They know it's not the Christian's job to judge whether the illnesses people suffer from are just because people suffer are what they deserve. None of us deserve salvation. Just because someone is dying of a disease like AIDS doesn't make them any less deserving of salvation. We must show non-judgmental love and mercy to a sick and dying world. If after receiving grace, people still sin continually and refuse to be disciplined, then the process of biblical judgment must come. There's a place for this, but it's a rare extreme case. We must keep uppermost in our minds the truth that the church is a community of grace. See, for the church to become a community of grace, we need to understand grace at a personal level. Then once we've received grace and understand it for ourselves, it's much easier for us to share the grace of God with one another. I'm so glad that God treats me with grace, not with judgment. Because there's so many things wrong in my life that needs fixing. I thank God for his grace towards me. So I've just jotted down some of the things that Rob picks up there. That we love and accept one another with all our differences. I haven't met anyone yet that's exactly the same as me. Praise God, you're saying. I think that's sad, but still. I haven't met anyone. We've all got differences, haven't we? And the wonderful thing is, within our differences, we're meant to love and accept one another. No one would do things exactly the way that I do them. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means they're different. Okay? 
there's something within us that wants everyone to do things the way that we do it. Because we think our way is the right way. Don't we? That's part of our humanity. There's different ways of solving a problem. And so we need to treat one another with the grace of God, recognizing that we are all different. And love and accept one another. When you need to love and accept me with my Scottish accent, my moustache and my Arnold Schwarzenegger film star looks, you've got to accept me. Because if you don't, I'm telling Father God about you. So there. Just say to the person, I love you. Now say to someone else, tell them, I love you with all your hang-ups. The other thing when we're in a community of grace, we don't judge others when things go wrong because we recognize they, but for the grace of God, go I. It is so easy again in our humanity to judge people who are not like us because we think everyone should be like us, you see. And we need to learn that there, but for the grace of God, go I. I'll tell you, when I hear some things out there, I think, well, God, there, but for the grace of God, go I. <laughs> it is so easy. And when we judge, the thing that we judge can come upon us. That's dangerous. Dangerous. We make an effort to encourage others daily because we recognize that need in ourselves. Like I said earlier about the worship group, when was the last time you encouraged them? When was the last time you encouraged me for bringing a brilliant word like this morning? I mean, when? When? We need to encourage one another daily, the Bible says. We need to make it a lifestyle of encouragement. We all need encouragement. I need encouragement. You need We all need encouragement. So we need to encourage one another daily. Please, seriously, this morning, encourage the worship group, the stewards, the, 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 the children's leaders, those that serve behind there. You know, encourage those that are serving us. Don't forget me. I'm part of the human race. I'm just more spiritual than the rest of you, that's all. Whoa. Encourage me. I see you were going to judge me there, weren't you? I caught you. I caught you in that one. I caught you. Yeah. I got them, Lord. Yes, I got them there. Yeah. When we live in the grace of God, we value people more and do what we can to pray for them and help them. See, we're the body of Christ. They had all things in common. That doesn't mean we need a common person. We all live in the same house. It doesn't mean that. We have all things in common. That means we share things with one another. You know, what you've got, you share with me. You give what you've got to me. I love this word. I love this word. I, I can't prove this is theologically correct again, but I'm sure, you know. But no, we share everything with one another. We share our lives, our love, you know, our chocolate biscuits, whatever it is. Raspberry Pavlovas, all the stuff I like. But we share our lives with one another, having all things in common. That's what a family does, doesn't it? And he just someone else about a family. Families don't always get on well together. They don't. Families can fall out, but they're still family. Hey, it's okay for families to fall out. God's grace can help us work it out. It's okay for families to fall out. 
you don't have to go and divorce yourself from Kingdom Life Church because you've fallen out with us. Come and sort it out. Families work it out. True family. Because the grace of God helps us work it out. We need to value one another. We're all made in the image of God. And the thing is, because we so appreciate God's grace, we want to share that grace with others, don't we? See, the world can do great things, you know, social workers, people can do all that. They can do so many things that we can do. What they can't do is share the grace of God. They can't share the grace of God. We can. Some people just need to know that someone loves them. He gives another example in this book. I haven't got time to read it out, but uh, he's walking through Hong Kong with a friend. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Hong Kong, where he gets approached by this pimp with a prostitute. And he's thinking, oh, no, what's she coming near me? I'm a holy man, God, for goodness sake, get rid of her. And God said, no, I want you to speak to her. He thinks, okay, what do you say? So this prostitute comes up. And uh, Rob Rufus said to him, how much? His friend's thinking he's flipped. He's been out in Hong Kong in the heat too long. He said, how much? He said, whatever the price was. He said, you're undervaluing yourself. You see, Jesus paid much more than that for you. The pimp at that moment tried to grab her away. She turned around with tears down her eyes and said, I used to know Jesus, and I turned my back upon him. It's meeting people where they are with the grace of God. That's what we try to do in the church. We meet people with the grace and love of God. Because there is something about our humanity. We expect everyone to be where we are today while they're not, are they? Where you are today, you weren't always there either. Neither was I. We need to meet people where they are and get them connected to Jesus and let the grace of God begin to work in their lives as the grace of God's been working in our lives. So sharing this grace with others will lead us beyond the walls out there to heal the sick, set the captives free, and feed the hungry. And in doing this, we will be showing a non-judgmental love to a dying world. The world doesn't want to be judged. It's got enough problems. They need to meet and come into contact with a non-judgmental love. And that love should come from the church of Jesus Christ because we're moving in the grace of God. Because we understand His grace, we're sharing that grace with others. And if we can do some of these things, then this church, Kingdom Life Church, will truly become a community of grace.